0: Hey friends, Clara here. I wanted to warn you before we start that this episode is going to be chock full of book spoilers. (laughs) We'll keep them out of our interview with Jade at the beginning of the pod, but once we get into the episode discussion, all bets are off. So now that we have that all out of the way, we can get started. Here's this week's clip.
1: You know the worst part of getting exactly what you want? When it's not good enough. Then what do you do? If this can't make me happy, then what would? Fillory was supposed to mean something. I was supposed to mean something here. But it's all, it's just, it's random. It's so random that the only way to save my friends is to yell at a fucking plant. Honestly, fuck Fillory for being so disappointing. You know what, maybe I was better off just believing that it was fiction. The idea of Fillory is what saved my life. (laughs) This promise that people like me, People like me can somehow find an escape. There has got to be some power in that. Shouldn't loving the idea of fillery be enough?
0: Welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. I'm Clara, and I'm Danny. And today we're talking about episode 412, The Secret Sea, by David Reed and Elle Lipson. We're joined in this effort by the lovely Jade Taylor. Welcome, Jade.
2: Thank you so much. So happy to be back. Yay! Hey. <laughs> Yay. Took Hi. too long, but we're
0: glad to have you here.
2: <laughs> I'm joined by my kitties. <laughs>
0: Here's the other
3: one. She Some... oh. oh, She joined. <laughs>
4: We're going to start with an interview to give Jade a chance to answer your questions before we get into spoilery part of the episode.
0: So we received a truly enormous number of listener questions for this interview, like 50, which is, I mean... I think we have less than 50 questions in an entire episode, including all the episode discussion usually. (laughs) Um, But we wanted to get in as many of them as we could before we get to the episode. And Jade, you should also know that about a quarter of the uh, questions we got weren't really questions. They were just people saying how much they love you, your work on your show, your activism, or your hair. (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, I appreciate all of that immensely
4: <laughs> your hair is pretty fantastic It's oh, I mean I thank
2: my mom and my dad for that um, I had no say in it <laughs>
0: I hope that someday when you're it. I hope that someday when you're accepting an Emmy or an Oscar, that's part of your acceptance speech. I thank my mom and my dad for my hair.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's fun. I appreciate that. Now now I have to.
0: Now
3: (laughs) (laughs) Now
2: you do. It's true. It's funny because I think when I was younger, I straightened it a lot and I was sort of ashamed of it because it was different. And I went, no, I get to embrace it and allow other people to feel inspired to embrace their own uniqueness. And so, so yeah. So that's why I'm like, I'm going to let my throw fly. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: okay, so our, our first non-hair-related question comes from Carl yeah. Jameson, who writes, It seems as though Katie is the only one to really have taken anything away from their alter ego. What caused her to identify with Sam so strongly?
2: That is a great question. Uh, well, many things, I think. Uh, she has been taking care of so many people and so many things. And she really, I think at the core of who Katie is, she fights for injustice. I mean, we saw that with Penny. We saw that with Julia. We saw that with her mom. Uh, we see that continuously throughout her journey. And so uh, I think there's something about that being the same, Sam having that same driving force, but Sam sort of channeling it into this independence and strength mm. um, versus Katie was channeling that into
0: self up. Yeah, Sam has a lot more confidence.
2: Yeah, she had the weight of the world on her shoulders. They both do, but they channel it in different ways and so I think I think Katie related to Sam more than more than a lot of the other characters and saw, oh, we have the same mechanism yet she's channeling it into something different and I want that thing. I want to feel mm-hmm. that kind of confidence and belief and power in myself and not mm-hmm. feel like I'm just existing for other people.
0: I feel like this is going to be a theme of this episode. Yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Our next question comes from Elle, who asks, do you think Katie could have become the leader she is now in season four without the loss of Penny?
3: No. You
2: know, I always, um, no, I think, like, if I look back at um, her journey and anyone's journey in life, you know, what we go through, what we experience makes us who we are. And I think, she would have continued to, to be his sidekick, so to speak, and, and care more about him in the relationship, uh, than anything else. I think it it opened her eyes up to a whole new world of possibilities and, um, and her own personal strength. And without that, like, um, there's this acronym that I love, which is like if you take pain and make it an acronym, it's pay attention inward now. When somebody goes through pain, it's like if they look within and figure out like well, what is it that's going on within me, you can use that to either disempower you or to empower you. And she found a way to empower herself. And um, I don't think she would have been there without without that experience.
0: Mm, I kind of I wonder a lot about that in the context of this episode because of the conversation between Katie and Penny twenty-three right? Like this is an episode where she finds out that a lot that she thought was true about Penny Forty's death isn't, how do you, like, is that going to, how is that going to affect her?
2: Yeah. Well, I think she, she battles with that. Like she doesn't know what decision she wants to make because a part of her is like longing for, for the love of her life and wants that so desperately. And then she's found herself. And so it's like, which do you choose? Do you choose the love of yourself? And, and this, um, and I mean, for a long time, she wasn't fully living. She was, um, risking her life all the time in many ways, whether that was through addiction or or other things. And I think, um, she, yeah, she battles with whether or not it's better to be with her love or, or love herself more than, more than someone else. And so I don't think it's as black, it's not really black and white. It's sort well of she she's still figuring it out.
0: Yeah, we we talked to um, to Sarah and John at the beginning of the season, and I think one of my favorite things that they said was that they killed off Penny basically to create more room for Katie. And I think like. Especially when you think we talked about this a little bit at the time, right? Like, there's this whole trope of women in refrigerators, of women sort of being the sidekicks who move a uh, who move a man's story along. It was so cool to kind of see that reversed.
2: Yeah. Oh, like, I love them so much. <laughs> I mean, not just for for that, but that like it, it, that's just a testament to who they are and what they stand for. And it was yeah. really beautiful. I think taking a stand like that in. Entertainment in general is really powerful because it says no. I'm, Um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna shift and change that narrative, because for a long time we've seen that happening where women are the sidekicks or the ones giving power to the man or to another person or something else, mm-hmm. um, rather than having power themselves. And so I'm so grateful that John and Sarah <laughs> wrote that and changed it because it it opened up a whole new world for Katie and um and it's been so much fun to play with.
0: Yeah. So. We had another question from Viola who noticed that the way Katie dresses has changed a lot since season one and wanted to know how you think her change in style ties in with her growth.
2: Oh, I think it it absolutely ties (laughs) ties in with her growth. And that's something um, we've actually spoken to the wardrobe department about is they're very conscious about how a character is evolving. Mm. Um, Moggily, she's amazing about that. She's like, well, right now she's in this place and so we're going to have the wardrobe um, channel that. And, and I think also, um, yeah, so it's vastly different from season one and it's been really fun to see the physical manifestation of her inner sh- changes. Yeah. And so for example, this, this season, like she's wearing like blazers and I mean, it's is still the same sort of color tone, <laughs> to yeah. us, but, but, but there is, so it's still like the core of who she is yet. Um, she's been influenced by Sam and by this sort of empowerment. And I think it's just, she's embodying that in a different way. And so, yeah, so they are actually really conscious about that and, um, and really take a lot of time and thought into doing that. And it's, it, and it affects us as actors to put that on and you feel different. You're like, oh, wow, this is a different energy that, that, um, that's portrayed because of that. So it's, yeah, they're amazing. So shout out to our wardrobe department, who's
3: incredible. <laughs> Very incredible.
4: A bunch of people wanted to know about the musical episodes, your experience singing, and your musical influences. So we're going to try and combine them. What do you like most about musicals? What are some of your favorite musicals? And do you really have a four octave range? <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so those are all great questions. And um, I'm a musical nut like mm-hmm. to the point where I collect playbills and have since I was five years old. Um, so if that tells you anything about my love of musicals, John and I, John <laughs> and I have a very similar, or very, a, a bond in, in that regard. Um, gosh, I, I grew up doing musicals. I remember like the, one of the reasons why I wanted to be a performer was I saw cats when I was like four years old. I was like, I want to do that, not be a cat, <laughs> but, <laughs> but sing and dance and acting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just fell in love with it. And my mom was also a performer back in the day um, before I was born. And so she encouraged it and was really, um, really supported that. Uh, so I started singing while well, I was in dance when I was four. I started singing when I was seven. So I've been doing it for a very long time. And actually singing was my first love. Like, I thought that I was going to be the next Mariah Carey. That was my dream when I was like eight years old, nine years old. <laughs> like a dream. And um, yeah, right? I'm be the next Mariah Carey. Um, So I actually fell in love with 90s R&B first. Oh, yeah. And Classic. that was, yeah. And I loved, for whatever reason, soul and blues just resonated with me in a really big way. And then musical theater as well. Yeah, I've just, I've been singing for a long time and I did everything from I'm classically trained and I also um, I was a trained jazz vocalist. And so I've done the whole gambit. Um, and what were the other questions? Favorite musicals. God, that that is a challenging one. I love certain classics like Phantom, Les Mis, but I'm a huge fan of some of the contemporary stuff. Like I've seen Rent 10 times. I've seen nice. Wicked 9 times. I've seen the color purple nine times, which I love the color purple. I wish to God I could be in that, but I just don't don't fit the <laughs> mold. Um, but it's one of my favorites. It's just such a powerful, beautiful piece. I could go on forever. I've seen Hamilton three times and you know how expensive those tickets uh-huh. are. So you know
3: that case for going
2: three times. Um, but yeah, I mean, music has just been um, a huge, huge part of my identity. And the last question. So John um, actually reached out to me while he was writing... That uh, that scene about the four octave range, and he's like, "So what's what's your range?" And I was like, "Well, technically, it's just under a four octave range. So i have like one note under, but sometimes I can hit the four octave." So he's like, "I'm writing four octave just because it's a better button." <laughs> Got to round up. <laughs> you're,
3: not, you're
2: not gonna say, "Well, three and three quarter octave range or whatever it might be." So, um, so I'm just just. Four octave. yeah we rounded up we rounded up <laughs> but um pretty much for octave range yeah
4: i'm honestly still pretty salty that you like weren't in the rent live. like i really oh wanted oh my god
2: i <laughs> love you for saying that i wanted to do it so badly so badly but, like i didn't even go out to audition for it because they were very i think they had already just like put out offers to people
4: yeah, I feel like they also just, like, went with, like, a younger cast, it seems like. They did.
2: They did, yeah. There was a, yeah, it was a younger cast, which I, I think is a little bit strange for Rent, personally, but.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, well. But, oh, well. So... <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do the revival when it comes back to Broadway.
0: Yes. In, like,
2: yeah. five years or something.
0: I saw it, <laughs> a, I saw it on Broadway,
4: I guess, like, it must. Yeah. I mean,
0: it must have been more than ten years ago.
4: <laughs> but... were... Yeah, I think it's been off
2: for, like, about five years now, yeah. something like were... that.
4: They're playing, um, they're doing a production of it during, uh, Pride Month in San Francisco. Oh, nice. they are? This, <gasps> this year. Oh, that's amazing.
3: Yeah.
4: Oh, I love that. That's yeah.
2: So cool. yeah. It's, it's okay. like, has a really special place in my heart, because my, um, my mom's best friend, slash, we called him my uncle, slash, year, a father, uh, he had AIDS. And it was just, mm. he brought me when I was 10, and so it was something that, um, just fell in love with it for its meaning and I think it's such a powerful story that needs to be told and and I think musicals are an incredible way to tell those stories because it uplifts you and makes you feel things not just from like a visual standpoint but also yeah. auditory it makes you go through every emotion it's like a full sensory that that,
0: experience
2: <laughs> yeah, totally and for me that that can change somebody's life if they have that full immersive experience
4: yeah so yeah.
2: I love musicals short <laughs>
4: So uh, would you uh, sing a little bit for us? <laughs>
0: sure. What do you want me to say? <laughs> so I, I have a couple options for you, and you can choose between them. One, your favorite <laughs> jazz standard, because you do have a great jazzy voice. But the other option is I heard on NPR this morning that it's Julian Lennon's birthday. So Hey Jude seems like it would also be a, a good tribute.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm drawn to jazzy just because... I just got back from a trip and I'm a little hoarse and I think the it'll give it a little bit more of a rasp. <laughs>
0: nice a little sultry <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Alright I don't
2: know if this, <laughs> this is just one that's coming to me. Oh okay I'll give you two options one summertime or Sunday kind of love
0: Oh summertime of course <laughs>
3: <laughs> Summertime And the living is easy. Fish are jumping, and the catching is high.
2: Oh, your daddy's rich, and your mate's good looking. So hush,
3: little baby.
0: Baby, don't you cry Uh, I can't believe how great that sounded on, like, the crappy Skype connection (laughs) 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 Um, So, we're gonna have to move to the episode soon But before we do, I have to ask this one last listener question Frankly, because I also want to know Um (laughs) MM Cookies 69 at MM Cookies 69 wanted to know where's Katie's dog?
2: My heart hurts
0: <laughs> talking about this oh, because
2: I want to know the same thing. <laughs> there's like, it's really funny. I don't know if you follow any of the writers, but there's been a lot of like talk about where the dog could possibly be. David Reed definitely thinks it's dead. Uh, Henry had another idea for it. There's a lot of different theories as to what happens. I don't know. (laughs) I (laughs) would love to know where the dog is because I really wanted her to keep it. (laughs) I was so excited about the puppies. Honestly, it was probably because I was so distracted on set that day. They're like, "We can't have a dog anymore." She's just gonna be (laughs) like, "There's no work is gonna be done for anyone on set." Honestly, everyone knows when the dogs come, everybody stops working. So I assume that's what happened. Is they're like, "Well." We're never gonna shoot a show, and the fans are gonna be very disappointed if there's puppies. <laughs> so. I so, hopefully that. the dog will come back, or we'll figure it out. But um, yeah, as of right now, I have no idea, and I wish I had the puppy. I
4: just, I just hope they like never show it again until like randomly you just see it as like it's yeah. like, much older. <laughs> yeah, totally. Kind of like waddles totally. out.
2: <laughs> well, you know what's funny? So those, those. Uh, do you remember Cancer Puppy at the beginning? Oh yeah. So that's Cancer Puppy's baby. Oh, so <laughs> so that's a little tidbit of information. That's fun because um, so Cancer Puppy is alive and well and having babies.
4: <laughs> that's so funny. Since the this episode, they do have the little puppies that were like. This reminds <laughs> me of Cancer Puppy.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's the same. It's the same litter. Like the same mom. Oh, So, yeah, so yeah. we sort of yeah. use them, and <laughs> yeah, so- it was really. Funny.
0: To try to pack even more insight into this episode, we emailed David and Elle ahead of time to get, like, whatever BTS moments they had. Um, We'll also, in a second we get to the episode, I have their sort of take on what the themes of the episode are. Um, But one of the things... Uh, that I can't remember which one of them mentioned it, but one of them mentioned that originally they had planned to do that. Um, the thing, the like spell that fog does, um, just as like a special effect, but they were trying to make it more production friendly and they were like thinking of different ways to do that. And they're like, Oh, let's just turn them into puppies. And I just think that's like the greatest, that's the greatest thing. (laughs) That's the greatest reason to like Ah, have puppies on your show
2: had a bunch, and they were, like, figuring it out, and they are like, that's going to be really challenging. And then somebody, I don't remember if it was David or Elle, but somebody was like, puppies, just turn them into puppies. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, turn them into puppies.
0: <laughs> um, the other related insight is that Elle tried to adopt one of them, apparently. Yes, she
2: did. She did. <laughs> I'm actually glad she held off because she found the perfect baby. Oh, my God. Aud- Audrey <laughs> Audrey's <the> cutest. <laughs> yeah. Just the sweetest pup, so... She made the right... (laughs)
0: Um, Okay, so we should move on to the episode. Before we do, just another reminder to our listeners that we're going to discuss a lot of things that happened in the book, particularly in the last book, The Magician's Land. So if you want to avoid book spoilers, you may want to skip ahead to the fashion section. I'll mark the timestamp for that in our episode description. So consider this your last spoiler warning. Continue at your own risk. We don't want to hear about it if you get spoiled after this point. (laughs) Okay. Um, recap time. And I will say the recap's also going to be a little different. This was a very, um, personal and emotional episode for, uh, both Danny and I. So there's just, there's just fewer jokes for us. (laughs) Um, but here, here's the basic, here's the broad strokes. In this episode, Julia gets possessed and ends up killing OLU, which there's probably going to be some consequences to that down the line. Everett shares his plan to become a god and bring the secrets, uh, the secrets of the gods to the library with Zelda, and Quentin unlocks a reserve of magical power under, underneath Castle Whitespire known as the Secret Sea. But if you'll permit me a bit of analysis in my recap this week, I think a lot of this episode is about forgiveness, that secret reserve of power that we all have inside ourselves, and the many painful ways not forgiving ourselves and others can, bring us, uh, can hurt us and hold us back. It's Quentin's ability to love Fillory unconditionally, in spite of everything he's been through, that allows him to grow the plant in the drowned garden that gives him access to those reserves of power that have been sitting beneath Fillory for so long. It is, in a sense, his ability to forgive Fillory, Alice, and most importantly, himself, that gives him uh, what he will need if he's going to save Elliot and Julia. So that's my analysis. I haven't run this past Danny, so we'll start just by asking her, like asking you, Danny. Does this resonate with you? Does it sound right?
4: I mean, it does sound right, but you did also totally forget Katie's storyline here in the recap.
0: (laughs) <laughs> You're absolutely right. Well, I, I think I was thinking of it as part of the same thing with Zelda, but that's true. Katie yeah. is uh, Katie is with Zelda in the library. She um, is a big part of the discovery that they have about um, the reserve of power and how they're going to resolve things. And uh, she also has to confront her own potential death and the fact that, uh, as we mentioned earlier the library could have done something to save Penny and chose not to. So, yes, thank you for calling me on my bullshit, (laughs) Danny. (laughs) (laughs) This is why we're a team. I was like, yeah, that that theme is intertwined in a lot of
2: ways because, like, does Katie forgive herself or Zelda for Mm -hmm. taking away the love of her life? So I think it... Mm -hmm. So I'm agreeing
0: with you. There is a theme there. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get back to that because we're going to want your analysis too. But before we get there, I also emailed the writers to get their thoughts since we weren't able to have them on the podcast this time. And I'm going to start with what David Reed said. Um, So first of all, he also told us that every episode has an official written theme. And the official theme of this episode is when you bait your hook with your heart, the fish always bite, which is a John Burroughs quote that they found after Googling profound fish quotes and cackling for about an hour. Um, The other themes that he mentioned, uh, episode 403's theme was fortune favors the bold on the more serious side, and episode 311's was double trouble. Um, But what he says beyond that is that the real theme of 412 to him is how heartbreaking it is when reality doesn't measure up to our expectations. Monster Elliot has a vision for what his sister will be, and he's wrong. She's terrifying and bossy and doesn't want to eat churros at all. And obviously, <laughs> that's his joke, not mine. Um, <laughs> can't take credit. Um, and obviously, Q had a childhood fantasy about Fillory and who he could be if he ever really got there. And the thing he's struggling with isn't just that Fillory failed to meet his expectations. It's that he also failed to meet his own expectations.
2: And uh- As well.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then what Elle added was, um, I think the reality versus expectation theme applies in Zelda's storyline too, because Zelda's been operating under this idealized view of the library and the reality of what her beloved mentor Everett is doing to achieve the library's goals doesn't measure up. And she adds that for her, the episode is also about learning to accept things and people as they are and learning to adjust your perspective, to look at the world with new eyes, instead of trying to make everything fit what you think it should be. It's about accepting the things you cannot change and appreciating for what they are without faulting them for what they're not. And so, Jade, I'm curious, given how much thought went into this theme um, on, the, on the side of the writers and how much comes out of it, if this is something that they talk about with you, act, with you as an actor when they give you the script, or do they leave it to you to interpret what's on the page on the own? And then I also wanted to ask what ways, in your eyes, reality has failed to live up to Katie's expectations.
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. They they don't really say anything before we get like when we get the script or before it. Um, they allow us to sort of absorb it and interpret it, and then we can ask questions. And um, but oftentimes, I don't. I'm actually one of the ones. Um, a, a lot of people will ask like really in depth questions or um, or chat with the writers a lot.
3: Mm-hmm. For me,
2: um, I do every now and then. But I I actually really love um, creating my own interpretation of what it is that they're writing. And then if they want something different, I'm like, absolutely. I like, I want, I want to honor what you're giving me. Um, but that's, I think the beauty of it is that they're all very unique characters and it's all our own unique perspectives. We're not one person in this world is, is exactly the same. We're all, we all have our own unique life experiences and, um, abilities. And, um, and so, I really wanted to come from that place of, of Katie's interpretation of it. Um, mm-hmm. but I also, I, I love, I would love to hear those kinds of things beforehand. I think it's fascinating, but I also don't, I think sometimes it would take away from his yeah. perspective because Katie doesn't know that. Like if she knew that she would operate differently than if she was operating from this, it's like the conscious mind versus the unconscious mind. If she was, yeah. she knew what was unconsciously going on she wouldn't operate in the same way she probably would be a lot wiser (laughs) you know and (laughs) better make different or better decisions same thing with Quentin and same thing with Allison every single person in character so I think there's actually beauty in the not knowing uh, and Mm -hmm. that's why like John it's funny about it if you ask him what's like gonna happen he's like it's like life we never know (laughs) that's, that's also true and I think that's part of why I don't I don't ask and engage in it um but I I love hearing this after the fact because then you see it sort of show up as a theme overall it's um it's really powerful but I also try to like I I understand how the script works and I try to understand all of the characters but then at the end of the day I can only focus on the one um because it's only from Katie's limited perspective of of reality and um, so it's sort of been my It's sort of how how I operate, where I I focus intensely on that, because I think that's very powerful in in how I I process.
0: Well, and it's kind of, right, like there's this kind of beauty to it that in order to create a show, an episode of a show where you are showcasing all of these um, radically different perspectives, you kind of do need to keep those separate, right? Like each... Each character has to be focused on themselves because if they were, if like if you were focused not just on your character but on everything that every other character is thinking, there's no way that you'd be able to, <laughs> to give yeah. that specific unique perspective.
2: Yeah, and to hone in on that, so I think it's, yeah, important. Um, but yeah, so to answer your question, it's interesting. I um, while shooting, I don't think about oh, what is the overarching. Yeah. The, well, sometimes yeah. I do. I will say when I first read it, I'll think about that. But then when I'm honing in, I think about like, what is, what is she going through? What is like her internal neck, like, um, conflict right now? And, and how is that being portrayed and what she's saying and conveying and um, all of that. But I, um, I think it's also powerful to know what everybody else is experiencing because in the, the entirety of the script, because then you know, what direction the writers want to take it, and and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think there, it's all very valuable as an actor, and yeah, to portray the character properly and to to tell the story that they want to tell.
0: So, for the second part of that, now now that you are hearing about this theme um, after the fact, what what are those ways that you think reality has failed up to li- failed to live up to Katie's expectations? Oh gosh,
2: um, in every way, but. You know, I, <laughs> I always say that like expectation breeds disappointment because when we we like there is no certainty in life at all. Like we can't guarantee anything to happen. The only things that we can control are our thoughts and our actions. And so if we think that if we have an expectation that something is gonna happen, we're always gonna be disappointed because it's never gonna be exactly how we want it to be. And so if we look at it from that lens, Everything has failed Katie and, but yeah. or every, yeah. one, every one of us, if we're looking at it from a of expectation rather than a place of I'm going to do the best that I can right now. And the rest just happens. Um, but with her, I think she really was, has been fighting desperately to do the right thing and to like, and to fight for justice. And when she's thinks she's doing the right thing and then it, it seems to falter or things fall through the cracks. It, it really, she feels as if the weight is on her shoulders. And so it's more, I don't think it's like an expectation, but more so a desire to do right. Hmm. And some somehow the situations always tend to fail her or she's doing the best she can and then the situation won't lend itself to her succeeding. And so I think there's been a lot of um, failure for her in that way. But also we... Interpret failure differently. Every one of us does, and I think um, I think in many ways she succeeded. So I don't know if things really fail her because she's learned and she's evolved and she's grown. I can go on about this forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I think it's very like very. It's a very in depth feeling where where yes she does believe her personally believes that that life and things have failed her. Yet I don't believe that they have truly.
4: Katie's storyline in this episode is kind of brutal. She learns that the library could have saved Penny Forty, that he didn't have to die, and despite the fact that she's come so far, that she's found so much else, so much else to give her life meaning, it kind of breaks her. Can you describe for us what you think she's feeling and going through? Does she really want to die?
2: Yeah, um, I don't know why you saying that it just made me emotional. It just like brought that <laughs> up again for me. I'm like, oh, oh. Um, every time I'm in Katie's shoes and I'm portraying her. I'm thinking, what what would that be like? And it's very a very challenging thing to think. Well, what if the love of your life died and you had the opportunity to be with them again? What would you do? Hmm. The truth is, I I don't know. I think I would be in the same exact position that Katie's in going, do I want to live a life of like joy and happiness with the love of my life? Or do I want to... Have inner peace and fight for for others to to succeed, um, but miss out on on that beautiful thing that I have. It's just it's a very challenging conflict that um, I think would be hard for anyone to wrap their head around. And I don't know that she wants to die, but I think she just wants to be with Penny. So yeah. it's like that's the consequence she would have to face in order to be with be with her love and it's just a testament to how deep her love is for him. Again, I think she um, she battles with that because she's finally found love for herself. And so, which is more important to her? And we don't really know yet.
0: Yeah, it's a real identity crisis for her, it sounds like.
2: Absolutely.
4: I feel like Penny 40, like, sent Penny 23 back knowing that he was going to be there to have that conversation with Katie. Mm-hmm.
0: well he kind yeah. of talks about that in the in that episode which what episode is that now three or four, oh, Six. Six. <laughs> six.
2: yeah well there were two because I was four five six I think it was seven okay <laughs> I was off in four and five and six so I think it was seven yeah I could be wrong <laughs> also, to me, I think it's, six. it's all like, Oh I yeah think- he talked about it separately and yeah, then yeah yeah we I'm confusing the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that's an easy thing to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's just like life. When you're trying to reflect, you're like, when was that? Was that that year? It's sort of like the same thing where you just – there's no timeline. It's just all one yeah. existence. Anyways, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. So there's there's this little detail I want to ask you about before we move on from Katie's story, which is – uh that when Katie needs to wake Zelda up, she slaps her, which, like, it might not be a thing that I would notice, except that Katie spends so much time punching people, that, like, the contrast of that feels like it's almost sweet. Like, she's, she's intentionally holding back so she doesn't hurt Zelda. And I, I just, I, given their history, I thought that was kind of fascinating. And I wanted to know how you view Katie and <laughs> Zelda's relationship at this point, and um, who you think Zelda is to Katie now.
2: Yeah. I'm going to start by saying something in, in contrast to what you're saying, where <laughs> I actually think a slap wakes people up, a punch knocks people out. So I think she was actually doing it just because she knew that would be more effective. Oh, it's more <laughs> practical.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. Um, but, but I mean, this is new information that she's just found out about, about her not saving Penny. And so now I think Katie is conflicted in so many ways. One, because she's now found out that uh, or like the potential of her dying and being with Penny is is a conflict, an inner conflict, and then also finding out that this person she's just learned to trust, oh Kitty, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> was just being really derpy. <laughs> <laughs> oh what a cute. Wait is that is that um that's Dobby Dobby, <laughs> Dobby. okay, oh Hermione is the black and white tuxedo.
3: Uh-huh. Got it. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying
2: uh, something profound. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. Cute kitties, cute fluffy things are more important always. <laughs> um, but just essentially, how uh, this is new information that that Zelda yeah. could have saved Penny, and so she's just started to build this trust with her, and so I think it just again shakes her her core of her belief system, and and. Um, You know, it's interesting that like we talked about themes and part of it for me, I kept envisioning this like unveiling, unveiling of truth, unveiling of truth, unveiling of truth. And so this part like unveils the truth here, like even though like Quentin had resistance to Fillory and to Alice, it unveils the truth beyond that, which is there's a quote that a, a teacher told me once, which is you're only as angry as you are hurt.
3: Mm.
2: And I think that's exactly what it was with both of them. And so that's like, for me has been the theme is Katie has only been as angry as she has been hurt. And again, she's thrown off by, by Zelda's like unintentional confession and now doesn't know what to think. Like she's, she thought that she would be able to sort of work with this person at least, or at least started building trust. And now again, shook her to the core of not knowing what stance to take, what direction to go, or who to trust or who to believe. Um, It just puts her in a very precarious situation.
4: Okay, so I think the next thing we should talk about is uh, Margo's in love. She admits it, and (laughs) the object of her affections is a goldfish.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) uh, I think, like in a lot of ways, the the only way I was able to like get through this episode, like all the feelings I felt during this episode and recover in time to like, you know, plan a podcast, um, is all the Goldfish jokes. <laughs>
2: so good, right?
1: It's I honestly,
2: so I'm, they, the, our writers never cease to amaze me. They're just incredible in so many ways. Um, I mean, it was, it's so good. It's so good. And the fact that Margo and Josh are in love and I love that scene where they're um, with the vet, Alex, who's amazing and so funny and hilarious. What do you say? Gordy. Yeah, Gordy, (laughs) exactly. Um, Where he's like looking through the lens and he he goes down to the goldfish. He's like, I hate to tell you, but your goldfish is a werewolf. And he's like, so are you. Did you like bone the goldfish? Like that whole bit. I'm like, who comes up with this magical dialogue like these just a testament to our incredible writers he just just (laughs)
4: delivers it like so seriously too yeah it's amazing I
0: I asked them what their one takeaway from the episode was um, and David said his one takeaway was don't take your pets to Gordy and (laughs) Elle said her one takeaway was Trevor Einhorn makes a really convincing goldfish hashtag method acting oh my god that's so funny that's so good I mean even in their responses they're hilarious oh my god <laughs> the thing though like is as much as it's a joke it also feel, feels kind of true to life right like Margot can admit how much she cares for Josh because he's not in a position to respond
2: yeah yeah okay. that's very true it's, it's like sort of social media
0: <laughs> well it's like it, it's like every guy I ever dated where like they can't talk about their feelings unless you're both Playing video games and like not looking at each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's so
2: funny. Yeah. And I love um, Alice sort of like prompting her in that way when they're having like they're talking to the gold, like talking to the goldfish, uh, talking to Josh. And she's like, You can still have feelings and also be a bitch. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I can't. <laughs> <laughs> what a so, revelation. <laughs> what a revelation, yeah. Uh,
0: David told me that Brittany spent the entire shoot taking selfies with the fish, texting them to Trevor, and saying that the fish was a better scene partner. Were you there for that?
2: Brittany's hilarious. She's one of <laughs> my friends, and I freaking love that girl. Yeah, she's hilarious, and that sounds... I wasn't there to witness it, but that sounds exactly like Brittany. <laughs>
0: Is it always like that on set? Is everyone always like teasing each other and taunting each other? And
2: um, not always. I will say, there's moments where we get to be super like in it and professional, and then there's moments. But I will say, there's a good amount of teasing with everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun and and are very professional, and so it's it's a fun it's a fun balance. It's definitely a fun balance. But Brittany, she's just really unprofessional, and she always. <laughs> Just kidding. No. <laughs> totally kidding. Not really, but no. No, 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 just kidding. She and I just taunt each other all the time on social media intentionally. But oh she's, yeah,
0: she's we've seen. It. We've seen. I know. <laughs>
2: really lovely things about me, so I'm just getting her back. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so didn't David also say they rewrote part of the episode in response to one of Britney's notes?
0: yeah, and I, I thought that was really fascinating. So apparently she was she made some comment in one of their early drafts that Fenn wasn't getting enough credit for all the work she did to find the fountain. So they rewrote all her scenes so that Fenn pointed out that she was the one who who did it at every opportunity.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was actually really, really funny because brittany and, and David have a really funny banter uh-huh. um, happens I can see that. Because, like for the uh, I remember at the end of um, last season, I don't know what prompted it, but Brittany just bought a house. And David's like, Oh, it's too bad you're dying at the end of the the season because you're, I mean, what are you going to do with your mortgage payments? And just like <laughs> torturing each other. Like it was, it was so funny. But um, they have a really fun, playful banter. And so Britt says things like that all the time, like, you know, she's the one that really got credit for it, but in such a like <laughs> loving, jovial way. And um, so, the, yeah, they took it and ran with it. And it made it so funny. And it's also, Brittany and Fenn are the same person. So it just, it's re- it just, it flowed beautifully. And I thought it was really well done.
0: Um, okay. So, two other things we should mention before we get into our personal reactions to the episode. The first one, I think, is that Plover is still alive. Were you expecting that?
3: No, not at <laughs> all. Not I feel
4: like all. I did. I was just like, mm, like, nah, so, somehow <laughs>
2: he's going to come back. So funny. I didn't even, weirdly, I didn't even remember because I've read every bit of every script i didn't even remember when i was shooting that scene um or that episode episode 12 uh 412 i did in didn't even think about how he was sent to the poison room it just mm-hmm. didn't even come mm-hmm. to me and i am ho- I was just hoping that that was the audience's reaction as well that they were just in it and were like oh, i forgot about that thing <laughs> you know <laughs> thrown in there um because that happened to me. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, I did not expect it, and I thought it was a really, really smart turn.
4: I don't, I don't think the audiences have forgot. I swear, I saw like on Twitter the other day, someone's like, clever better not come back," and I was just like, "Well, <laughs> oh, really? Oh man!" Yeah. I mean, oh, I God. think um, I
0: feel like the magician's audience is uh, very obsessive. <laughs>
2: yeah, we're very uh, yeah. observant. They remember every detail. Oh, <laughs> I like, think that we know it is just as well, having like been in it and done, you know, but. Um yeah I don't know I think I was just like so in the musical episode and then the following one and did not expect it but <laughs> I think it was it was really smart and I'm ex- I I mean I love him he's so he's such a wonderful actor and so he fun is. To- yeah it's,
0: it's always good to have a villain
2: I was just <laughs> going to say that I was well I was going to say it's always great to have a creepy pervert
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean <laughs> stirs things I, up <laughs> I realize that we we don't mention it at all in our notes, but I, I wanted to mention just like how much I love how, um, Katie is like defending Alice, like in this episode. Mm -hmm. Team Long bitch for life. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I love, I'm like starting to ship it. Like,
2: Oh, that makes me really happy. So just a little funny side note, uh, Olivia and I have a really hard time working together because we can't stop laughing. (laughs) It's like, We cannot stop laughing, but secretly because we've been trying to make Katie and Alice have a relationship. (laughs) We're just like, I mean, why not? It should happen. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. There's something I think, but it's also, I really love just strong women standing for one another. Mm -hmm. like, Like we all make mistakes. We're all human. And I love that there's like, yeah. She punched her in the face and she like went, okay, fine. now I've moved on. Like, no, <laughs> you fucked up. And well, like we need to get this solved. So let's do this and let's move on from it. And, um, I think she recognizes, I think they both recognize that they're powerful women that are, um, are taking a stand for, for what they believe in, whether it's good or bad. But yeah. I think there's just something that Katie is seeing in Alice that she may not have seen before. And I love that, like, that line and that moment of, like, yeah, well, then I'm too blonde, bitch. <laughs> because I think she just, again, recognizes that she is really trying to do something good. Hashtag
4: Callous.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I feel like uh, the rest of the fandom hasn't even seen this episode, but I have seen such an explosion of Callous love on Twitter this week. I just, oh, yeah. yeah. i can't wait for them to see that to hear that line and be excited by it
2: yeah yeah i'm so excited about that yeah we have we had so much fun this past season because i didn't get to really work with her before and um we realized why (laughs) they probably kept us separate because we just we just have a great time we just have a really great time and um and really vibe and get each other so it was really fun
3: yeah
2: I'm a professional at the same time I swear. <laughs> <laughs> While
0: hysterically
2: in between takes.
0: <laughs> so of course the 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 other thing that we have to talk about also related to Alice is uh the the sort of Quentin Alice thing. And this is like a remarkably hot button issue right now but i know (laughs) that danny had some thoughts she wanted to share and she made the good point that which i think we were talking about at some point maybe not on the podcast but that like it is really easy to backslide from friends to lovers especially when you're in a really emotional difficult situation and most of your support network is possessed so Mm -hmm. (laughs) i just thought danny i would give you a chance to expand on that if you felt so
4: inclined um so I mean there's been a lot of tension on the the Twitter sphere. Um so I probably won't get too into it just cuz I personally love both Juliet and Qualis. I love them both. I think that there's room for both relationships. Um I would personally like to see Alice just take more time to herself, mm. flourish, and then maybe be with someone else, maybe uh maybe Katie But, um, like, I personally saw, like, even though they have, like, these really deep emotional moments in this episode, when Alice kisses him, like, I felt, like, a bit of hesitation on on Quentin's side. I don't know if it's his feelings for for Elliot, but, like, I feel like he's kind of just letting it happen because he just wants to feel good. Yeah. Um, And I just feel like a lot of people do that, especially in on-off relationships. Which they have, like, (laughs) definitely.
0: (laughs) I think that's a really good point. And um, I think the thing that I would add to it is that, as many, many people have pointed out, Quentin hasn't had any opportunities really to feel good this entire season, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) In the first couple episodes, his dad dies. His His best friend's been possessed the entire time. Um, he spent most of the season being really angry at Alice. And now his other best friend is also possessed. So like, <laughs> and you know, I mean, he's friends with Margot, and he's like frenemies with, uh, Penny. And he's like, it runs in the same circle as Katie, but like there aren't a ton of people he's close to who aren't possessed or dead. And, I mean Alice is pretty much pretty much it right now um and so I think like that's that at one point but what was that <laughs> She was possessed and was dead at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Man, maybe Quentin's the one making everyone get possessed and dead. <laughs> Internet, I don't mean it. Don't take me seriously. <laughs> but I think, like, I mean, Danny knows this. I've said it before. Like, my real OTP in The Magicians is Quentin and happiness. And so, like, you know, it's – he's having a miserable time and um, – as, you know, I, I am more of a quality shipper than a Quala shipper for sure, but I'm not going to begrudge him a moment of happiness in a really, really shitty year. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, um, I don't lean either way. I'm sort of uh, like non-biased in that regard, because I think I'm s- similar to you in the reg- uh, in the sense that I want him to find his happiness. And when mm-hmm. I'm witnessing those like relationships, I think there's a part of him that's seeking for that in other people.
0: It's looking for validation.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And it feels like with, um, with him and Alice, it's just like, you know, those relationships that you have where there's just so much history there Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you're just so connected and you don't quite understand it. So I don't know whether or not that's love or if that's just like history.
4: Yeah. I feel like they were the first, people to each other that like really meant something. So you
0: never get over your first.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And she even said it, she said, um, like you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I think Mm -hmm. that sort of hit him as well to realize how much of an impact. And, and when you, when somebody cares about you that much, you want to open up to them in a different way. And I think that caused an, an opening for him to connect with her again. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it could go, it could go one way or the other. It could be just like this. I miss this connection and our friendship and our history. And it could mean that like, they want that uh, like a deeper relationship with one another and to continue to move forward. Or it can mean the opposite of just like, I wanted to connect with you again. Cause it's just, yeah. this is like who we've been for each other. Yeah. I don't know. I feel
4: like it- I feel like it was really telling that he was just kind of like, I just want you in my life. Like,
2: Yeah, yeah. And I again, going back to the happiness thing, um, I think that's the thing that most characters and most people need is to find happiness within themselves. And we're constantly seeking for it in others, like finding it in our relationships and everything outside of ourselves. And I see that in most of the relationships, and I think that's like Katie, this is the first time she's finding it in herself, because she was finding it in everyone else, yeah. um, and I hope that Quentin finds it in himself so that he can be in a healthy relationship with, whether that's Elliot or Alice, you yeah. know?
0: Yeah, and I, that's a really good point, too, because to be honest, I don't think right now he could be in a healthy relationship with anyone.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, there's just a lot of Pain and a lot of history, and I think a lot of healing that gets to happen <laughs> around mm-hmm. all. And but I think, this, but I think it was a first step yeah. towards healing. Yeah, with mm-hmm. Alice at least.
0: Yeah, we talked about that a lot in the last episode. That like, we you know, whether or not they have a sort of romantic another romantic interlude, right? There, they needed to have some kind of confrontation and time some kind of way to like face their history and hash it out if either of them was ever going to move on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. To start.
0: <laughs> I'm thinking about what you said earlier about the, what was the, the quote it was something about like, um, you're only as angry as you are hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like if you flip that, I think that does also explain a lot of what's happened in Quentin's relationship with Alice so far, right? Like they've both been really hurt by each other and so much of that is expressed as anger in their relationship and (laughs) if either of them is going to heal if either of them is going to get over the pain like on an individual level they just they at some point they have to deal with it and face up to the fact that they're hurt and talk about it and get through it and yeah no matter how they do that they have shit to work out still this is not (laughs) the end of them working shit out for sure and it's not a substitute for them working shit out (laughs)
2: But it is a start and it's ex- an exciting start to see that there's, that those walls of like anger are coming down to really speak like the truth, which is like, I'm hurt and I care about you. Like, if yeah. we, like, as humans do that, we would live in
0: a different world. Oh my God. Yeah. We wouldn't have Trump for president. Yep. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. um, I just feel like. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I said, I just feel like at the end of the day, like it it really reminded me of their confrontation at the end of season one, like right before um no, at actually at the beginning of season two, right before Alice is about to face the beast, they still haven't talking about their shit. Yeah. And it's just like at the end of the day, they just really care about each other. and yeah.
2: And when you're betrayed by somebody that you care about, it hurts more.
0: Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And you want it to so. mean something, too, right? Like, I think that's part of it, too. It's, like, I I don't know how much of it is genuine love and how much of it is just wanting what they've been through. It's like what you're saying about history, like, wanting what they've been through to have some meaning. Because, like, if it, you know, if it means they're destined to be, then maybe, like, <laughs> that's a way of shoving the pain under the rug.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. We we do need to move to fashion soon, but as I as we mentioned on Twitter, this has been a very personally meaningful episode for both me and Danny. Um and we have been avoiding talking about that roughly the entire episode so far. So wanna take a minute to do that. Jade, sit tight with us. Um I should also say this has gone two ways when I've practiced it. Either it sounds like I'm reading it entirely or I burst into tears. We'll find out which one it is now. <laughs> um, well, all of it. So Cool.
2: Thank you for being authentic yeah. and honest. Yeah.
0: Sort of what this is going to be about. <laughs> um, mm. So something that I think most people probably wouldn't guess at me, guess about me unless they know me really well is that I'm actually a really sensitive person. I feel things very keenly. I'm easily hurt. But for most of my life, that has felt like something to be ashamed of um, and afraid of. And it's something that I have spent a lot of time and effort trying to hide. Um, Feeling things as strongly as I do has seemed in a lot of ways like a liability. And (laughs) you can't just like carry your liabilities with you wherever you go if you want to get through your day-to-day life and accomplish your goals. So <laughs> I spent a lot of my early life uh, learning kind of how to set that aside, to compartmentalize, to look tough, to be tough, to be to be High King Margot <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but no matter how much of that you do, it doesn't really change what you are on the inside. And so I have always still had those very intense and often volatile emotions swimming around inside me. And it's something that I've never been quite comfortable with. Um, In our first Q&A with Lev, we asked him what Niffins were based on. And he said something that really stuck stuck with me. I think it probably stuck with both of us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So he said, I've always felt in danger of being overwhelmed by my own emotions and even destroyed by them, by their intensity. That's just what being a human day-to-day is like for me. And writing is like that, but even more so. When I write, when I'm writing well, it's at a pitch of emotion, which always seems to be on the edge of some indefinable disaster, as if it's going to be too much for me to contain. Becoming a Niffin is about losing control, drowning in your own emotions." Many years ago, about 25 years ago, I read by chance a paragraph in a magazine, a description of a woman having a nervous breakdown while sitting in an airport and how it felt. It felt like she was turning into a ball of fire. That made a deep impression on me, and the paragraph ended like this. Now she was a ball of fire sitting in the airport. Nobody noticed. You can probably hear that resonating with the first line in The Magicians. A niffin is what would happen if what that felt like was actually literally happening. And it's an experience that I think has analogs in a lot of things, in addiction and mental illness, but also in artistic creation and in love. So that description speaks to to me, Clara, on a really deep and personal level. When I went back to therapy about four years ago, I remember asking my therapist very seriously. And I feel like I I remember that I told her, like, I'm not being glib. I'm being very serious because I thought she was going to not take me seriously. But what I asked is, like, what is the point of feeling negative emotions? What's the point of carrying around that hurt and that baggage? And I don't remember what she said other than that she had some you know, very good reason. And now it's mixing in my head with four years of therapy. But in the last few years, I spent a lot of time just kind of learning to make space for the things that I feel. And if you look at me on the outside, I'm not sure how much I've changed. But on the inside, everything is a lot less overwhelming, even if it's still intense, even if it's still, even if I'm still feeling all the same things, it doesn't feel like they're going to consume me in the same way. Um, the fact that I returned to therapy four years ago, just a few months after I finished The Magician's Land, isn't a coincidence. It's been a really long time since I felt at risk of losing myself to emotions, but the scene in the drowned garden, (laughs) the scene that we saw on TV this week, was the thing that helped me realize that there was more to living than just surviving the times between the sort of momentary bits of happiness that come your way. And it taught me, it also taught me that as much as my feelings could hurt me, they were powerful as well. The plant Quentin finds in the garden, the one that's his, (laughs) the one he yells at in this episode, it's also the plant that in the books he uses to create a new land. And it's Julia who takes him to the drowned garden and shows it to him for the first time. So now I'm going to read a little passage from the books um, from, from that scene when Julia takes him there, how she describes it. This is a feeling you had, Quentin, she said, once a very long time ago. A rare one. This is how you felt when you were eight years old and you opened one of the Fillory books for the first time and you felt awe and hope and joy and longing all at once. You felt them very strongly, Quentin. You dreamed of Fillory then with a power and an innocence that not many people ever experience. That's where this all began began for you. You wanted the world to be better than it was. Predictably, that is the thing that made me cry. <laughs> um, to me, that scene has always been about the purpose of that kind of naive love and idealism. It's saying that as much as believing in something, loving it can hurt you, it also gives you strength. It's worth it. And when Danny and I met Lev back in 2016, um, it was at a book signing at um, UC Santa Cruz. And um, we had we had already interviewed him, so we had like arranged to to hang out a little bit afterward with him and the rest of the English department. Um, So we hung back (laughs) um, during the signing to let everyone else do their thing. We mostly kept our mouths shut during the (laughs) Q&A. And while we were waiting in line, I noticed that he was doodling these little Felorian fantasy landscapes in everyone's book. And I think like anyone who's had a book signed by him, it's kind of his thing. Mm. Um, But when I went up because I am... me i guess (laughs) i asked if he'd take a request and if instead of drawing that landscape he'd draw me a picture of quentin's plant and he looked at me in what i now understand to be a very assessing way just sort of gave me this like for about 10 seconds (laughs) and then he said about drawing quentin's plant in my copy of the magician's land and um Before that moment, I never thought in a million years I would want a tattoo. And 18 months later, I got that as a tattoo. (laughs) Um, And for me, that plant, it's, it's the reminder that everything I feel, no matter how it hurts, has a purpose. And that to live life out of touch with my feelings would be to give up what makes me who I am and to give away all of the power that I have. And it's that, more than anything, that's what the magician's novels and the show have meant to me. And I I wrote this to David and to Elle. You know, when this this adaptation got made, I had sort of accepted early on that the show was going to be different from the books and that while there was a lot of the same spirit, um, I wasn't going to get to see everything that I was invested in. Um, It's an adaptation. That's just kind of what they're like. And I had sort of convinced myself that, it didn't matter if we ever got the drowned garden it didn't matter if we ever got quentin's plant um that i didn't need it <laughs> and the thing that i realized seeing it on screen was that there's a really big difference between something between not needing something and it not mattering and <laughs> when i saw that i mean that that plant seeing the drowned garden on screen seeing quentin have that conversation with himself it it matters it's everything to me so that's my story. <laughs> Mostly <sighs> made made it through without tears.
2: <laughs> I didn't. I'm crying. <laughs> I'm
0: well, you crying didn't. Now. You didn't hear me. I, I practiced this like five times to try to get it. So I just wasn't oh, bawling God. through the whole thing. So
2: <laughs> even in that, would it would have been beautiful if you did, right? It's like just accepting, beautiful, like, but DJ-
0: inaudible. It's true.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just, like, allowing it yeah. to be like accepting those yeah. feelings from whatever they looked like you know, I think it's, it's such a, a profound and beautiful message. And I'm so grateful um, that you share it and were authentic in that way and vulnerable because I think um, I relate to you entirely. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that most people don't feel like it's safe. I'm going to get emotional. So let me know if you can. <laughs> um, most people don't feel like it's safe for them to, to feel and express because it isn't in a lot of situations. And I think it's up to people like us that are out there spreading a message, um, to take a stand for that and share that we've had the same experience. So then others can be like, oh, I'm not alone.
3: I'm not alone. There's other
2: people like that, that feel very deeply and it is safe and it is so beautiful and it makes up who you are. And I'm so grateful that you shared that. So thank you. Well,
0: and I think for me, you know, every time someone makes something like this, right, it comes from it comes from an authentic place, right? It, The fact yeah. that Lev wrote that and it was so powerful, it, it's there's something in him that had that experience. The fact that <laughs> um, in translation to screen, it still felt the same way. There's something in Elle and David and the rest of the writers and all of you actors who are playing those parts that feels that too and I think like I, I'm trying to be a braver person <laughs> as I get older um, and I think like all the bravery that people put into that the only way to repay it is by being brave yourself so now it's Danny's turn to be brave
4: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I didn't rehearse mine at all because I've had I have had no time so hopefully I don't <laughs> completely become a mess okay so
2: (laughs) exactly (laughs) beautiful I'm
4: going to (laughs) I'm going to preface with one of my favorite parts of the first book which comes from Alice I've always really I've always felt really called out by this part of the book and then I think it's awesome that in the episode we discussed today Alice is very different Alice than she was when she said this and she's Kind of said it back in season one, but anyways, this is the quote. For just one second, look at your life and see how perfect it is. Stop looking for the next secret door that is going to lead you to your real life. Stop waiting. This is it. There's nothing else. It's here, and you'd better decide to enjoy it, or you're going to be miserable wherever you go for the rest of your life forever. I felt super called out by this quote because I've been there, stuck in this idea that everything at some point would magically get better. I feel very different than when I first read it, and I know Quentin as a character feels so different than when he first heard it. Reading and watching The Magicians takes a lot of brutal self-reflection. It's fun, but at the end of the day, the material is just so full of emotions, especially for folks that have depression or anxiety or mental illnesses that are similar. Quentin isn't the only one struggling from these issues. And the show makes that apparent, but Quentin has always been the one that really struggles with coming to terms with reality. And this episode in particular is very expectations versus reality, which so many of us struggle with. I was so happy that Alice finally was like, it's okay that you love Fillory. Yeah. How much How much you believe, because at the end of the day, it is something she loves about him. I felt like it was really hard No, it really had to be Alice in those scenes with him. Like, it couldn't have been anyone else because she was always the one to call him out for not being grown up before. And I think everyone wants that somebody. Like, I'm happy to have somebody that in my life appreciates that about me and my love for the magicians. And Quentin's speech is all about mattering to people and, in general, wanting to feel like he matters and that. And depression will do that to you. It'll make you feel like you don't matter. And I don't know how many times in my life I've I've felt like I don't matter. And I know that I do, but I still second-guess it on the daily. And Quentin wanted to be the hero. We all want to be the hero. So when he talks about nothing making him happy, why, why can't he have just one thing that he was most excited for in the world and it still does not make him happy? Depression really, truly makes you feel like you're broken. So when he starts breaking and saying, like, people like me, people like me, I really felt that. I felt like he was going to say that he just wants to matter because that's what I want. That's what most people with depression want, uh, just, just to know that they matter. And so the part that really got to me about his speech is, though, like, he starts saying that. He wouldn't be here on this planet if it wasn't for the hope of Fillory being real. And I think that's when I really lost it because it's like I've been there. It's so real. The community, the show, this series has truly and honestly like saved my life in a way that I can barely begin to explain. I was very like suicidal in the months leading up to finding my community and... I attempted, I've I've had to sit there with friends who have had to watch me and, and make sure that I didn't die. So I've been where Quentin is in episode one, like in, in the whole series, I've been there and I feel like I grew up with Quentin and I feel like, um, I feel like I grew up in knowing this community and and speaking to everyone about my truth and, and the character's truths and I felt less alone. I can say, like, 100% that I like. I probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fandom and, and especially, like, my friendship with Clara. And... I fucking love you. <laughs> <laughs> am, I, am I cured? No. Like, and obviously not. Like, that's impossible. It's a constant battle. And I feel like I've grown up And and Quentin's speech in this episode just got me in a way that I wasn't sure I would ever see in a TV show. Like... A way that I wasn't sure they'd ever be able to write into the show the book the way they, the book did. So Quentin Coldwater means a shit ton to me. Lev Grossman does for creating him. This fandom means a great deal. The cast and the crew mean the world to me. So I just know that I owe my life to the magic of fiction and community. And I will be forever grateful.
2: <sighs> um. We're all crying. Not a dry eye. Thank you for for sharing your story. Oh man, I'm so like blown away by both of you and your your vulnerability and speaking your truth. And I can't tell you how much it means to me as somebody that's part of this show, knowing that it's impacted you in some way. It I'm somebody that's gone through a lot of depression as well in my life. And when I was 14, almost took my own. Mm -hmm. And to know that like you've had this community and people supporting you in those ways and to just feel like this has in some way, in some shape or form touched someone's life like that makes me feel like my life has meaning. So like you're giving me a gift right now, and so I just want you to know that. And I'm so grateful, and I'm so blown away by what you've created. For you have created a community of people that gives someone that gift of feeling like they matter and that they're part of something greater than 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 that thought that they don't that they don't matter. So I just like I'm so honored to be a part of this right now, and just. To be able to speak to you and just thank you for everything you both are doing. I'm like I'm a mess.
0: <laughs> we're all the we're clumped. I resort to Yiddish and joking when I'm I love emotional. It.
2: <laughs> I'm sweating same time. So I'm like crying and sweating, and uh, <laughs> both so much for that. And and, and the, like you're giving everybody that's listening a gift right now.
0: Thank you for sharing that about you too um i think it's depression and suicide are so stigmatized um yeah. that it it just it becomes this thing that is kind of in the fabric of our, a lot of a lot of our conversations that most of us never talk about with each other that most of us never share and i don't know where i'm going with that just that i think that the biggest gift we can give each other is to be open and be willing.
2: Absolutely, I'm thank glad you. you said that. Thank you. Honestly, I think that's the first time I've said it in public. It's very freeing because I think I've held on to a fear of um, how somebody might perceive that. But <laughs> but it's honestly, um, I think it's so valuable and so important. And as somebody that's you guys, myself that are putting content out there that are in the spotlight and in any capacity, it feels like there's an obligation to to speak those truths so that it shines light on it so people don't feel like they're alone and people know that they can move through it. I, you know, I had it took me years, but I but I got to a point of, of understanding where that came from for me and being able to to heal it to a to a capacity, you know, and I and to so my message for anybody that's listening is really that know that there's people out there that care and that understand and that are going through it and that it's not the end. It's just the beginning. And this is like we were talking about earlier that those painful moments inform who you are. So like knowing that no matter how deep the pain is, like somebody once said to me that, um, and I thought this is a beautiful analogy, but when you're hurting so deeply, your heart is a muscle mm. and it's just getting stronger and stronger because it's having a bigger and bigger capacity to feel. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: And so you have an enormous heart and, and it's just getting stronger and stronger. And, um, and I am a firm believer that that we can overcome anything if if we believe we can and if we have the support. So thank you again for, for opening that up for me and for everybody else that's listening. I think it's incredibly important right now because I think um, it's something that is um, not talked about enough. Yeah.
0: Well, shall we all take a drink of water before we go out of
4: fashion? <laughs> I think we're all getting dehydrated. <laughs> Do a little. it's funny because arjun like just posted a video on like oh, yeah. twitter earlier yeah
2: like,
4: pretty much about like a similar like like i'm here for you like saying that. he's been through it too so
2: yeah yeah and that's i think you know on our show there's a lot of people that have gone through a lot and i think that that's why they're able to convey so much heart in these stories,
3: mm-hmm.
2: because they've been through it, and they know it.
0: <sighs> uh, yeah. So, um, we did <laughs> promise a fashion discussion. So, <laughs> as cathartic as this has been, as uh, I, I think we should move there. And I also think it's worth saying, just sort of to tie some of this together, that Right. Like the people, everyone who is creative and in any way, I think, has has dealt with some level of sort of fear and self-doubt and finding ways to express it that are meaningful um, is in a lot of ways, I think, how we how we all get through the day. And to tie this together, that probably includes the wonderful costumers on the show who put so much thought and effort into the the sort of emotional aspects and the character aspects of the clothes that they design. Mm -hmm. So that's my awkward segue. Um, (laughs) And um, before we get anything into anything else, Jade, I have to ask you about the library getup that Katie wears in this episode and the last episode. Cause it's fucking amazing. (laughs) How much you. do you love it, and are there any details we might have missed about it, especially like any bookish details, because we know that that's big in the library. In it's, any what details, sorry? Like book-related details. Oh,
2: yeah, no, so um, so it was actually really fun. So we had Tracy, <laughs> so funny, I remember this day very vividly, because I get into, I'm so excited, because I love like 30s, 40s getups. it's my my favorite thing. And so I got really excited when I heard that I was going to um, get to dress as the librarian and I got there and they had this outfit and that was the first one I tried on. And Magali, who's our, um, the head of our, um, wardrobe, she's our designer. She comes in and she's like, hmm, I don't know. And she like goes through a bunch. And then we ended up going back to that first one. <laughs> but it was, what was funny is I actually did like a little photo shoot with my pup.
0: Oh,
2: um, <laughs> in that outfit, and so it actually has this like really special place in my heart. For that reason, I know it's like a funny little segue, but it, I just yeah, I loved it. I thought it was just uh, it was so much fun. We never know if there's little snippets that are going to be taken out of the episodes for timing or whatever it might be, uh, or it just doesn't fit in in the final cut. And um, there's just this moment where Katie uh, comes in and she's super uncomfortable and she's pulling out her collar and like wearing this suit. And that was really fun to play into that sort of discomfort because it's such a different <laughs> outfit for Katie. Uh, and then made some quippy res- like comment. I don't remember what it was, but it was really funny. Uh, but they ended up cutting it, but it was, it was really fun. But point is, is that our wardrobe department's amazing. And, um, and I think that, uh, they made it, they made her look like she belonged there. <laughs> Which was the whole point, so it was great.
0: Um, so there's there's two other fashion notes I want to mention. Um, one, also cl- tied to plot, is uh, Dean Fogg's Bond suit. Um, do you know is that the same suit that Sherilyn Fenn's character made for him in episode two?
2: I believe it is. I believe it is.
0: I um I
2: can't confirm that entirely but that's that was my assumption I some of the things aren't said until later and so that was my assumption that that was what what it was yeah Uh, but yeah I thought it was brilliantly done and John was so thrilled about it
0: (laughs) (laughs) well and I feel like I mean Dean Fogg is is so such in the books especially like he's he's such an affected character but you see that especially in the way he dresses in the show. Oh, yeah. And it's so great to see, like he has, I always, I kind of viewed it as he has this bond fantasy. And so he just <laughs> wanted to make it into reality.
2: Well, it was actually John's bond fantasy that <laughs> he
3: made the
0: reality
2: it was actually perfect. And it's so great. It's actually, um, Rick has started to wear the suits, like wear suits to, to set and just on a like day to day basis. He used to just wear like t-shirts and shorts. And now he comes like in a suit with his break bills tie. And it's just, it's amazing.
0: I love that man so much.
2: He's so great. He's so wonderful. Yeah.
0: Um, so the other, the other actual fashion note to mention briefly, there is another great monster shirt. What was this one? Rack it up. Is that what it said? I think so. Yeah, oh, with cartoon raccoon.
2: Aren't those so great? <laughs> they yeah. are,
0: and it's funny because there's been. I I now don't think we're gonna see that one separately. But in one of the like behind the scenes interviews, for a long time, I thought the shirt that Hale was wearing was one of the monsters' shirt because it's this like picture of a I think a Scottish guy in a kilt doing the Marilyn Monroe. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I kept thinking like. That's got to be one of the monster shirts, right? But we're in episode 12 and I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> and
4: yeah, I think that was. Just it might a just pretty pretty be shirt. Hale's.
2: <laughs> I think that was Hale's shirt. I'm pretty sure. Because ta- those, like the Taco Cat and all those, they have a very similar sort of artistic theme. Yeah. yeah. It was a bit different. I'm pretty sure that was Hale's shirt because I remember him wearing that on set one day and I, he mm. was
0: working. So. I like to yeah. think that the monster influenced his fashion. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> and that's so funny. I love that. Yeah, it's been an, like a really fun ride with the monster this year, <laughs> and now we
4: and now we have a second monster. We have
0: a second monster, which brings me to my very last point, which is not strictly fashion, but I noticed that Julia's makeup changes after she becomes possessed, and, and her her hair. Hair, yeah, and her hair. <laughs> but apparently, most of possession is like eyeliner and hair gel. That's what I've decided. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, in her case it was eyeliner and a crimper, but same thing. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but I I love seeing Julia this way, even though it's technically not Julia, just because like it reminded me so much of like what book Julia is supposed yeah, to be. Like, Julia. It, like, <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Like
4: all feral true. and stuff. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's really true. That's fun. <laughs> I love that. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Totally,
4: (laughs) and I love Stella's like voice that she puts on for the monster. It's good. She does good. She does good job.
2: Totally, yeah, it's really fun.
0: Jade, any other fashion notes from you before we move on? Anything we missed?
2: I mean, I just I'm just constantly impressed. I I desperately wanted Katie to go to Fillory and turn into like Xeno Warrior Princess or something. Yes. Right? But instead, well, the two times she went to Fillory, she was just in a plaid shirt. And that was, I was like, come on, no, not a name. <laughs> um, So I was just a little, little jealous. But Britney's outfits, like, I mean, Summer's outfits are always incredible, but Britney's outfits have stepped up and they're yes. incredible this yes. year. I just, I'm blown away. I think it was what, what was it? Is it 10? The museum. Yeah, well, 10, but also 10 and nine i think were like two outfits that were incredible where she had the braid going around her oh, forehead yeah. mm. that outfit was i mean they just do such an incredible job and they make it from scrap like they i just blown away by by our fashion department fashion the,
0: the pantsuit she wore in the in the adventure episode was also oh, really yeah. spectacular i, yeah. loved, I
4: love her braids. right yeah they did, i mean
2: her hair's not that bad. She's <laughs> 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 got like gorgeous hair that's down to her butt. It's just amazing. So they can do like incredible sing- things with it, and yeah, it's really beautiful. So I love, I love what they've done with Fenn this year. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah.
0: Okay, um, that brings us to MVPs, and I'm actually going to start with an MVP uh, that came from L. Um, who asked us to give a huge shout-out to the badass director Shannon Coley, who, this is a quote, who wrangled an episode with lots of challenging emotional scenes as well as a complicated action sequence and brought it all to life beautifully. She used to be our A-camera operator for the first few seasons, so she's been in the show since the beginning, knows and cares about it deeply, and is just so much fun to work with as a director. So, since Elle did a shout-out in her email, I wanted to make sure we captured it. (laughs)
2: that i love shannon so much she's such an incredible director and person and she just gets the show on a, on a different level because she has been there from, since the beginning and she did the musical episode as well and nice. it's just like yeah she's been such a gift to have back as a director i just i adore her so much so just <laughs> all of that else
4: said.
0: <laughs> um okay danny you want you want to give your mvp
4: it was Todd, obviously. No, I'm just kidding. I just <laughs> had to mention him. <laughs>
0: she has to get Todd into every episode.
4: I have to get him into so every good. episode somehow. But no, honestly, it was Jason. Like he, like, he just was so much emotion and obviously, like, made me feel a lot. And you could just feel the honesty in his performance. Yeah.
0: It's, yeah. um It's fucking crazy because... Every single performance in this episode was just, was like uh, 11 on, you know, you turned up the dial to 11. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I also gave it to Jason. And honestly, part of the reason I gave it to Jason, in addition to everything you just said, is that I feel like the show doesn't give him as many opportunities as it does other people to to really display his range as an actor. Um, he spends so much time in that kind of in that sort of low level depression part that like getting to see him go out of that comfort zone and, and, you know, yell at a plant. um, It was, it was riveting in a way that I feel like I've like, I think Jason is great, but I feel like I've never been so riveted when he's, um, when he's been talking before. So I think for that reason, I mean, maybe, maybe my MVP should really be the, the writers for giving him that range and, David and L, you know, I fucking love you. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think my, I think I'm going to give it to him too, or give it to everyone, whatever. <laughs> I, I agree with you
2: on the writers. I think they've, there was so much for each of each character to like sink their teeth into. It's honestly, it's the writers and creators and everything that they give to us. And I think, um, because Jason's an incredible actor, he really is. I got to like work with him and see him on Aquarius um, mm-hmm, years mm-hmm. ago, and he's just—he's incredibly talented. And um, the writers gave him like something to bite into, and he like got to show he it. what he's capable of. And and I agree that that scene with the plant was so honest and beautiful and powerful. Yeah. I
3: loved it.
0: Okay episode rating normally this is the portion of the podcast where we rate the episode on a scale of one to ten but I'm gonna break the fucking rules and just say I would not know where to begin (laughs) rating this episode like really I could I could do some of the other tricks we've done I could be like this is a 15 of 10 or whatever but yeah I think in part I don't want to rate it because it's just so meaningful to me and my reaction to it is so personal and you know ratings are always subjective but this particular episode is, it's like a next level. And so for me, it transcends ratings. I refuse to rate it. They're broken. I just want to love it and be grateful for its existence. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I support that. <laughs> and now i fucked over Danny for whatever it was she was planning to say. <laughs> and silence.
4: Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like similarly, like it. I mean, we've pretty much given up on the rating system this <laughs> season. it's it's tough. It's a really amazing season. And so like I just like, can't even imagine what the finale is gonna be like if this episode is like this fucking deep like <laughs> I in advance.
0: we (laughs) uh david asked me who we were having on for the finale um and i I can't remember exactly what he said after that but uh, it was something along the lines of uh it's going to provoke reactions (laughs) yes
2: um many many (laughs) (laughs) as all i will say i am keeping my mouth shut but good luck (laughs) (laughs)
4: I think he said good luck too oh oh god I'm scared like I've been scared since I finished the episode I I, I wish I could be like say
2: something positive but no you should be scared
4: (laughs) oh
0: god Uh, we'll see if we make it uh, to next week without dying of stress and (laughs) (laughs) anxiety yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah All right. Anything to add before we wrap up, Jade?
3: Oh
2: no! I uh, again, I'm just so grateful for for what you guys are doing and for um, being so so vulnerable today. It um, it touched my heart, and I know it's going to touch so many people's. And I'm just um, I'm grateful to have been on this and to have been a part of it. So thanks for having me
0: thank you i'm so glad i'm so glad that this was the episode we got to have you back on for
4: you yeah know? yeah me too and, so and thank you for opening up to us as well like we have to we have to say thank you as well because honestly <laughs> it meant it meant a lot to me to have you open up back oh, thanks
2: for saying that and reach out to me let me know what happens uh, to you guys after <laughs> see this because uh, oh. if you need any consoling let me know
3: I oh, Have a little out. support group <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> alright well on that uh, note I think we've yes. come to the end of our show um, Jade thanks for being here today thanks for, for being part of this uh, weird ass experiment and being open and vulnerable on the airwaves <laughs> and uh, thank you meantime. for everything you do on the show Thank you guys so
2: much. I appreciate it.
0: Oh. Yay. Lis- listeners, thanks for tuning in. We hope you liked, we hope you, we hope you liked, enjoyed this episode is what I wrote as much as we did. <laughs> um, <laughs> tune in next week for our breakdown of the finale. That's it. Bye.
3: Mind slide. All Oh, kitty.